stuff. You ever hear the phrase, I'm only human? Anybody ever hear that? I want to redeem that phrase this morning. Every time you hear that phrase, I know it's meant to say, hey, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I'm only human. But every time you hear that phrase, I want you to think this way. No, that's not true. Because in Jesus Christ, and by the infilling power of the Holy Spirit, I'm more than mere human. So every time you hear that phrase, I'm only human, I want you to think, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh I'm more than mere human because I have Christ in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just want you to redeem that phrase. This morning, I want to begin with an illustration. Back in the 1960s, uh, when I was a kid, these became very popular. Do you remember what these are? Slinkies. We have a little video for you to watch. They are not that good. I got one of those things when I was a little kid, and I was so disappointed. I wrecked it right away. That's where the advertising outstripped the product. And I'm amazed that he, you know, some 50, 40 years after their invention, they're still kind of going strong. But they have a great illustrative uh, nature to them, and that's what I want to use this morning. Oftentimes in life, we seem to go around and around on the same issues. Have you ever noticed that? We keep coming back to the same issues over and over again. I think... If we allow God to work in us and his Holy Spirit to fill us, if we get equipped by the word of God, if there's transformation taking place in our hearts, sure, we go around at the same issues over and over again, but we move up the spiral. We move up the slinky. And we deal with the same issue that we dealt with maybe prior in our life, but we're dealing with it at a higher level of understanding. We're more equipped in Christ. We're more filled with the Holy Spirit. We're more in submission to the work of the Spirit within us. And sure, we come back to the same issue, but we come back to it uh, more equipped and relying upon God. And so we're dealing with it on a different level. And that's kind of how, how spiritual growth works. It's like being on the uh, outside diameter of a slinky and going up, up, up the coil. This, to me, is 1 Corinthians. This is what's happening as we go through our study of 1 Corinthians. Paul introduces to us this, this problem of division. Remember that? And then he, he kind of works around all that, and he talks about a whole bunch of things. And now we're to, to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And guess what? We're right back to division again. The very thing he began with. But we've moved up the coils. We've become more educated and more understanding of, of what God's up to and hopefully more reliant upon the Spirit. So we're going to deal with it on a different level this morning than we even dealt with it five weeks ago. Think about what we looked at so far in 1 Corinthians with me for just a moment. Paul begins by saying, what unites you will divide you. Second tier levels, uh, second tier uh, kind of things can't be the main thing. If we focus as people on second tier issues and unite around those things like they were doing in the Christian church, they were uniting around Cephas or Paul or Apollos or some were saying, we're super spiritual, we don't follow any man, we only follow Jesus Christ. If you begin to unite on these sub-level things, guess what happens? You have division. You have all kinds of division. And we're kind of introduced to this problem. Uh, we were kind of down here on the slinky. But then as, as, as 
Paul continues this teaching, he goes on to say, if you're going to boast, then only boast in Jesus Christ, right? But then he goes on to say, the, the, the wisdom of the world is not compatible with the wisdom of God. He's informing us a little bit. We're getting a little educated. There's a different way of doing life if you're in Christ than if you're not in Christ. And the Holy Spirit should be filling us and we should be thinking differently and, and living differently. And he keeps moving us up on this, on this slinky. Let me show you how this has worked just by using our applications for the last four or five weeks. I want to show you how hopefully we move with the slinky because we're going to get back to the topic of division this morning. And it's not just redundancy. What we're supposed to be getting is we're up here now instead of down here when we're dealing with this issue. So we've laid out for you several challenges. First challenge was this. If you're going to boast in anything, you'll boast only in Jesus Christ. Not in a person, not in a great teacher, not in somebody's abilities. You only boast in Jesus Christ. Secondly, always have the same attitude as that of Christ. What's the attitude of Christ? Well, it's submission. It's this idea of dying to self. It's um, service, humility, and obedience. And I challenge you, don't talk about yourself for a week. Do you remember that? Some of you are smiling. I hope you did it. If you haven't done it, it's still time. Next, as Pastor, Al, uh, Pastor Aaron led that message, we were challenged to do what we can, to stay engaged, relinquish recognition, and be reliant upon the Holy Spirit's power. And that launched right into last week's message on this idea that we have this provision of the Holy Spirit. We have to step into that provision. All this is moving us up on the slinky. So as we come to the same issues over and over again in our life, we're more equipped and more reliant upon the Holy Spirit so that we face those issues differently. And Paul, like a relentless person, is bringing us back to the subject matter of division once again this morning. So now I'm ready to read to you 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Listen to what he says. This is confrontational scripture. Don't think of somebody else. <laughs> when you're hearing this scripture, think about yourself. Think about what God may be dealing with you on this morning. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. <clears throat> Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So here's the problem. It's, it's getting further defined, but we're still in this problem of division. Paul's never left this issue of division yet in, in 1 Corinthians. And here, here is the problem. The Corinthians were acting like mere humans, like they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, mere, from a dictionary standpoint, means this. Nothing more than specified. Something or someone small or insignificant. These verses we read are just plain confrontational. They're straight talk. The Corinthians thought, we're spiritual. We're doing really well. Paul writes to them, and the first thing he says is, you're not spiritual. You're worldly. You're acting like mere infants. You ought to be able to digest solid food, meat, but you can only digest milk. I don't know about you. I get a little like that and go, wow, not a happy day. 
I totally misread who I am in the situation. Paul's drilling down a little bit on the division issue with, with this section of 1 Corinthians. He's smacking at it again, but he's giving us more insight. If you read this closely, he is revealing to us what the division really was about, why one was following Apollos, why one was following Paul. So here is the division, uh, division defined. Paul planted seed, which meant he was about the ministry of evangelism, about reaching the lost. That was his heart. Apollos watered it, which means he was about the ministry of, of, of discipleship, about growing people up in Christ. So the Corinthian church was divided over what's more important, reaching the lost, the ministry of evangelism, or, you know, equipping the saints, growing up the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around church at all, you know that that issue has never gone away. For 2,000 years, people have been arguing about this thing. Our vision statement on purpose tackles this thing. We're not an either-or church. We're an and-both church. Did you hear that? We're not an either-or church. We're an and-both church. And our vision statement gets after it. The first thing our vision statement says is we want people to encounter grace. What, we, what we're saying is we want people to run right into Jesus Christ. Amen? And get born again. It's our heartbeat. It's what we're concerned about. But now, now listen, encountering the grace of God is not a one and done deal. Every Sunday, every day of the week, we want you all to have a fresh encounter with God. That you have this awe of God going on all the time. There's this freshness to your walk in Jesus Christ. And then we want people to grow in grace. That speaks to discipleship. And we use these words very, very much on purpose because sometimes discipleship has been reduced down to learning a whole bunch of fun facts. Discipleship means this. I grow in my dependence upon Jesus Christ. I look more and more like Jesus Christ. I'm learning how to abide in him and love him more. It's not obtaining more information. It's becoming in my look and my demeanor and my actions a lot like Jesus. We want people to grow in grace. Now, grace is used on purpose in our vision statement because we know it's God who grows it. And grace implies this isn't about you and I. This is about what God is doing in our midst. So we're a church of both and. And we're kind of addressing an age-old divisive issue there. Self-awareness is such a huge part to becoming a deep person in Jesus Christ, understanding who you are and what you're about and what issues God's dealing with in your life. This is going to be a big thought throughout the message this morning. I'm already kind of hitting on it, but now I'm going to hit it on it really hard. Do you remember the, the old uh, TV show, American Idol? Anybody remember that thing? <laughs> Whenever I was bored and I wanted a good laugh, I'd watch this show, especially the beginning side of the show when they were doing those initial auditions. And everybody wanted to become a superstar stinger. And man, some of the contestants were just terrible. Do you remember that? And you had to conclude that person's tone deaf. They don't know how bad they really sound. And I would think, do they not have one good friend who would say to them, whatever you do, do not go on this show. Because you're going to look like a fool on a national level. Because you are tone deaf. And they would sing their heart out. And then Simon, the bad guy, would always say, you're terrible. And 
the other judges would try to soften it, but they were terrible. And I wondered, maybe they do really truly have a tone deafness going on here. They don't hear how bad they sound. When it comes to spirituality, the Corinthian church was spiritually tone deaf. They thought they were a superstar in the making. They thought they had all this talent in the world and that they were going to hit it out of the ballpark spiritually. And Paul says, ah, you are spiritually tone deaf. And he gives them two reasons why. Let me talk with you about that very quickly. One, you're worldly. You're worldly, he says, first of all. That had to rock their world. They thought they were spiritual. And Paul says, uh-uh, you're worldly. I can't address you as spiritual, Paul says. Instead, you're worldly. Worldly means this, made of flesh or matter with propensities to sin. He says, you know what? You still just have this propensity to sin that's still dominating your life. And they were dominated by viewpoints from the unsaved of the world. And Paul says, I want to call you spiritual, but what I'm seeing is worldly. Self-awareness. It's huge for us as Christians. We have to know who we are and what's really going on in our lives. Secondly, they thought they were this mature group of leaders, and Paul calls them mere infants. That labeling would make your day, right? Hey, I'm thinking I'm doing really good, and some good friend to me or some spiritual advisor that I really trust comes and says, you know what, Steve, you're not mature, you're a baby. What? That would just rock your world. If you had to describe to another person words and phrases that, that would characterize a, a, a small child, a baby, an infant, what would you use? Now, I know some of you are Midwestern nice, especially some of you women. You'd say, oh, they're so cute, and they're cuddly, and I just love to hold them. All right, let's get rid of the sentimentality here. Let's talk about the reality of what it means to have a little kid, especially a, a, a little mere infant. I've had six of those personally. I've got some experience on this puppy. I can talk to it. They demand like crazy when they're little. They don't give a lot back. They just want, 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 want. And they cry sometimes when they're hungry, and you think their little worlds were coming to an end. They, some babies, when, they, when they're hungry and they cry, you go, you just have to start laughing because it's so ridiculous. You're not going to starve. It's only been two hours since you had your last feeding or whatever. You're fine. They are by nature, impatient and self-centered. They want what they want. I've heard some say, especially those who have never had a child, I just want to have a baby so I have someone to love me. And I usually laugh now. Really? That's, that loving you is going to take an awful long time. And you're going to learn in the meantime how to love unconditionally and sacrificially. Uh, at some point they will smile and they'll be cuddly and cute, but men, are they a lot of work. They are so much work. That little bundle doesn't say, Mom, I know you're having a bad day. Take a break. They never do that. They never give you a break. They're relentless. Some of you know what I mean if you have small children because they're a baby, and babies act like babies. Paul says to the Corinthians, you're babies. You're mere infants. It wasn't subtle. It was a bomb. It was the opposite of what they would describe themselves as being. And here's the consequences of being stuck in infancy, okay? You can only handle milk, and you can't handle meat. You can't handle solid foods. Now, whenever I read this 
scripture that we read this morning, I'm reminded of my oldest granddaughter, Emma. She's now 15. She's about five foot eight. Last time I went to visit her in Iowa, she said, Grandpa, let's go for a drive. That was scary. I'm going to admit, I kind of said, mm, all joking aside, I looked at my son-in-law, Mike, is this safe? And I meant it. I don't know, Pop. She's little. I keep thinking of her as little. And she said, Grandpa, we'll just drive down the road. I do really well. I got in the car. I was a little nervous. I said, take your time. And she did a great job. She did really, really well. But whenever I read the scripture, I think of Emma as a one-year-old. And I spent some time feeding her. And I remember this. She loved milk. She would just guzzle that down. And then you would give her a little piece of solid food, like a little piece of meat. Like, you know how you slice them up for little kids? They're like a quarter inch square. And she would chew and chew and chew and chew and chew. And she had no teeth. So she'd chew on that thing. And I think sometimes she's done. And an hour later, she'd spit it out. I'm going, I gave that to you an hour ago. What have you been doing? Did you store it in your pocket, in your mouth, or what? And the thing would come out. And I, th- I would think, I hope she sucked the nutrients out of it. I'd actually think that. But she just couldn't digest it. You know, when we look at the milk and meat kind of talk, the milk versus solid kind of talk that I read about this morning, we often think of it as being kind of like my job to give you milk versus meat. But I'm going to say this to you this morning. I want to lay a little bit of this right back at you. I think it's a digestion issue as much as it is an offering of food issue. I think how we digest something makes it milk or meat in us. I think the same truths received differently often determine more whether it's milk or meat than what I'm offering to you. Oftentimes, people think of milk versus meat as being milk as, you know, introductory stuff like how to get saved and born again, and that's elementary and that's easy. I want something deeper, you know, um, some of this wisdom that's hidden somewhere in the Old Testament. And yeah, that's kind of cool. To, to do that, but that's not milk versus meat. Milk versus meat, I think, is more of how it's received and how it permeates into your life. You see, I think meat is when something comes into you and, all, and there's this heart transformation that begins to really take place. You grab a hold of a biblical concept or truth and it begins to change your heart and then that radiates into how you think and, and determines how you behave and pretty soon that determines your relational engagement with people around you and pretty much determines how you engage at large with injustice issues or, or, or social issues of that nature in the world. It's, it's about digestion. It's about getting all this interconnection connectedness of what God wants to do in you. That, to me, is becoming a meat eater, right? Instead of a milk drinker. Last week, I shared a little bit, uh, third hour, what I've been going through lately. And evidently, a lot of you talked to each other because I had a bunch of first hour people saying, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. But let me share uh, milk versus meat using uh, some of my personal story for, for uh, the last few months. Um, about midsummer last uh, year, I began to experience some back pains. And I, I, did, I've had, I got scoliosis between my shoulder blades a little bit. I've had this back issue forever in my life. And so I began to think, wow, this is, all, this is really hurting me. Um, it all began, I'll be honest with you, it all began with Dave Hopewell. I'm going to blame Dave. 
We went rollerblading one day and stopped and we would do like 25 push-ups and then we would rollerblade and I was trying to keep up with a man 30 years younger than me. So who's stupid in this scenario? I don't know. But at any rate, I noticed the next day I started really just having a lot of pains that I hadn't had before. I thought, well, I'm just muscular sore, you know? And, 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 but it didn't really go away. And about two months later, I was on a hike with my wife over here in southern Minnesota in Camden Park, and I said, I just need to lay down for a minute. <laughs> if you know me, that's not normal. I said, I just need to stretch out. I'm just like really feeling it today. And about the third time that happened, she was on the phone calling Dr. Schneider over here at the Brookings Chiropractic Clinic. She said, here, and she hands me the phone, make an appointment. I said, okay. So I begin to see him, and I begin to describe what was going on, and he was saying, well, we'll see how this goes, but if I can't figure it out, you might want to see a medical person. By the way, he is great. We have lots of chiropractors in our, our midst. I love you all. Thank God for you guys and gals. At any rate, after a couple months, I started feeling really good. My back started feeling really good, but I still would get this pain every now and then. And so I'm out in one of those early snows. I, I don't remember which one. took four scoops of, of snow, and I go, oh, this is not right. It's hurting in my back. Now it's starting to hurt down my shoulders. And I called the clinic. I called my primary care doctor. And it, within an hour, she had me in. I think she thought I was having a heart attack. And I thought, that can't be happening to me. I'm in great shape. I exercise all the time. I eat pretty good 94% of the time. At any rate, so I get in there, and they do all this test. They take blood. I'm going, all right. They said, you haven't had a heart attack. That's good news. I said, I didn't think I had one. Was I, should I be concerned about this? And she says, I think we should give you a stress test. And I said, okay. So two days later, I take the stress test, right? So I'm running on this treadmill. I'm thinking, I'm going to burn this baby up. I get to 107 heartbeats, and they say, you're done. Get off. They sit me down, and they start uh, looking very concerned. And I said, what? He said, uh, we're going to send you to the heart hospital. I said, really? He said, yeah, you have an issue. Really? I couldn't believe it. It was out of my box. Just didn't expect it. So four days later, I'm at the heart hospital. Seeing this guy, I said, is this serious? He said, yeah, part of your heart's not working right. I said, what? He said, yeah, we're just going to do a procedure. What? <laughs> said, well, if that doesn't work, we'll have to do open heart surgery. What? <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I'm not prepared. I was unaware. Okay, are you getting this? I'm thinking, I'll never have this issue in my life. It's not my family. I exercise. I eat kind of good. You know, I don't smoke. I don't drink anything. If I do, I can't be a pastor anymore, blah, blah, blah. So, they, so that was a joke. <laughs> so they carted me into this place. I think I'm going to get knocked out. No, nope, you're going to be awake. What? You know, here's a Valium. That'll help. Okay, you know, it did help. I was pretty happy. But they hooked me up to this table, and they bend my wrist. They said, we're going to go in through your wrist, and hopefully it's just a couple stints, and you're out of here. Well, it was a couple stints, and I was shocked. And they uh, were saying that one of my main arteries was like 90% plugged. I'm going, what? And so now I'm on cardiac rehab. And I just wasn't in my box of even life. And so I begin to be self-aware. I have a problem that I've been ignoring. It's been presenting itself for a long time, but I didn't see any of it, right? I remember the first time I bent over or tied my shoe, I said, oh, I can breathe really easy. Every time I do that before, I couldn't breathe. I said, well, duh. 
I thought, I'm just getting old and fat. I hate to say it like that. That sounds terrible to say it that way. But you know what I'm saying. I just thought I was getting old and I couldn't do this very well anymore. And so self-awareness began to happen for me. And they had an educational video. And the first thing on that educational video that Saturday when I was checking out, because I went in on Friday, had this done, and I'm checking out on Saturday. And I was thanking God that I didn't have open heart surgery. At this point, my whole perspective's changing. And I had really cool people, by the way. My, my, everyone I dealt with here in Brookings was wonderful. My primary care physician. And then I ended up with Nancy being my do- uh, nurse there. She goes to church here. So we had lots of conversations in the middle of the night after the procedure. She's great. Anyway, I, I could just see God's sovereignty in his hand and taking care of me. It was really cool. So I, I had this educational video. You can't check out until you watch this puppy, right? First thing it says, you, you have heart disease. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Evidently, I do. First thing they say is, you see a problem with stress. <laughs> and I go, ah. And then they list about four or five other things. And I, I, it's what the Lord Jesus said to me. Steve, are you finally going to deal with stress in your life? You're out of control. And I said, no, I don't have a stress problem. And I thought, yes, I have a stress problem. I'm always going 100 miles an hour. I'm always living on adrenaline. 40 years I've been doing this, if I'm honest. And I realized you can't just do that. You just can't do that. So I begin to think, how do I deal with stress? I don't know how to deal with stress. And how do I really start tackling this issue in my life? And I remember sitting with Aaron, and poor Aaron, he saw me as a basket case, Pastor Aaron, and I'm just going, I got this problem, and I think, you know, I need to deal with it. And he gave me two really good helps that I've been reading, and I'm just going to say this, The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen is wonderful. It just got at some things in my life. I thought, it's connecting with God through prayer, wisdom, and silence. It's just such a good little read. And I, I read this, but then the second book has been taking me forever to get through. It's called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ by this gal named uh, Guyon. And, and I've been going through this slower because it's just, it's, you can't go through it fast. And I've been actually doing this stuff. And I've been saying to God, I'm going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to nail this thing called stress in me. I'm just not going to live like this anymore. And I can tell you, I'm on a journey. I don't know where it's going to end yet. But I'm getting there. I'm way less stressed out than I've ever been in my life. And I've been feeling the peace of God flood my soul at times. It used to stress me out. And I find myself praying these super simple prayers. God, you are my peace. You are my peace. God, you are my peace. Peace I breathe into me. Anxiety I breathe out. I know it sounds strange. I do that an awful lot anymore. All right, just breathe in. Hope flood my soul. Hopelessness, you're banished in the name of Jesus Christ. And I do that until it actually sinks into my heart. And I've just been experiencing the peace of God like I've never experienced it. And it's sticking. This is meat. Are you getting this? This is meat. This is taking the words of God that may be simplistic, like I have a hope in him, I have peace in him, and something that's elementary and fundamental, and it's beginning to be me, and it's beginning to change how my heart is, it's beginning to affect my behaviors, and it's beginning to affect my relationships around me, and it's beginning to affect my whole outlook and how I interact with the world. That's meat. That's God changing you. That's transformation. Now, a second thing happened, a lesser thing happened there. But I want to talk on it too because it gets at how to begin to digest the things God wants us to digest. So I'm looking at my little educational video, right? And they continue on and they say, exercise and diet are really important. Well, I already know that. But I thought, I got to amp it up. I got to be, for my case, very restrictive on diet. 
and I have to become very committed to exercise. And then I'm listening to a podcast here like, a, like four days ago. John Maxwell, the consummate leader guy from our denomination, is talking on leadership, and I'm listening to Maxwell. And he just throws these random thoughts into his podcast. You just got to pick them. And he's talking about this idea that most people err not in making decisions, but in decision management. I'm going, what? And he goes on to say, we make decisions, as can be seen after every holiday season, people make a decision to go back to the gym and get in shape. And for most people, that lasts about two weeks. And he said, because they have such poor decision management. He says, what you do is you make a decision, and then all subsequent decisions are to manage that decision you've, been, you've already made. And he said, that's where most of the Christian community doesn't get transformation on our part of it. We want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He may convict you or me of a certain issue in our lives. Don't do this anymore. And we say, yes, yes, yes. And then we go down here and we don't make subsequent decisions to manage this decision. And decision management becomes a key to successful change. And I'm going, you got my attention, John. Because I don't want to be a two-week exercise person or, or two-week diet person. This is a life change. I'm just going to change. And I think spiritually speaking, that's when you begin to eat meat. It's when you begin to see these things that God wants to do in you. Just manage that puppy. Make the decision and then manage that thing. But don't go back to the decision over and over again. You've made it. Now rely on the Holy Spirit and God's Word and the people of God and all these other resources to help you manage that change. Amen? That's how you begin to digest the deeper things of God and become and look like Jesus Christ. So for me, self-awareness, decision management, that gives you the digestive juices to be a meat eater instead of a milk drinker. Here's the damage of immaturity. Let me cover these really quickly because this is really dangerous. If we remain milk drinkers as a body of Christ, there is an unhealthy inward focus then. This is what Paul's saying uh, to the Corinthians. There's an unhealthy inward focus. It's self-absorbed, self-centered view of Christianity. It's about second-tier issues that don't matter. Here's where it really gets damaging. It can produce, then, disillusionment in those outside the church. If you're a visitor and you're coming to Grace Point and say we were a 1 Corinthians 3 church, which we are not, and we had all this quarreling and bickering and worldliness happening among us, and somebody comes in here far from God, sees that, they're going to run out of here and say, I don't want nothing to do with that. And we're damaging the witness of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it damages and it blocks the Holy Spirit. Last week I talked about stepping into the provision of the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? 1 Corinthians 3 is a great example of how not to step into the provision of the Holy Spirit. Act like a mere human. Quarrel and be jealous and, and don't have any self-awareness and be self-reliant. That's just totally contrary to stepping into the provision of the Holy Spirit. God wants to be unleashed in your life. Do you believe that? God wants to do a transformation work in here that affects how you think, how you behave, that affects how you relate to other people, that affects how you deal with world issues like justice and poverty and all that kind of thing. 
But the question becomes, will we use the trial that God brings our way as a tool that he intends it to be? The trial often reveals your heart. Like when I was going through this trial, I'm going, okay, God, I know I have an unmanageable amount of stress in my life. So he said, what are you going to do about it? Because you can get repaired, go back to doing what you're doing, and another 10 years, maybe get repaired again, right? Or you can deal with that issue. And here's what I want to say. If you're an older person today, like I'm getting to be there, you should be thinking about the legacy you're leaving. You should be living life with this unyielding desire to affect the next generation for the glory of God. If you're a young person, some of you are looking at me thinking, I can't even think about dying. I'm too young. Then you should be living for a cause. I'm speaking your language now. What cause of Christ has captured you? That's driving you. But in either case, they're the same kinds of things, just different language. God is in the business of growing things. He wants to grow us up to look like Jesus. That's our conclusion today. God makes his life in you grow. Once again, as Paul's done all throughout 1 Corinthians, he brings us back to the main thing. The main thing is God and the work that God wants to do in us. He's moved us up, though, a section on the slinky. We have more insight and understanding of what's going on, right? And so as we deal with the, the, the division issue within the church, we're way more knowledgeable. But I hope individually you're way more knowledgeable about how to begin to deal with these issues in your life. And God wants us to be intelligent in him and self-aware in him. Self-awareness, I'm telling you what, self-awareness is a huge issue. And I see so many people, they come to church and they go, we're never going to help them. We're number five on their list of churches. And they haven't figured out that the problem stares back at them in the mirror. And they're coming here with all their issues. They're totally un unaware. They don't know what's going on in their own selves. They come here wounded and hurt and whatever, and they're going to find more hurt and woundedness here. You follow what I'm saying? Because they're not self-aware at all. Are you self-aware today? Do you know what God is doing in your life? Do you understand what the trials are for and what he's trying to create in you? Are you willing to step back and let hard scripture like 1 Corinthians 3 hit you right between the eyeballs and begin to confront who you are and what God wants you to be? We're becoming the people that God intends us to be and part of the body that he desires. We're moving up the slinky here as we go through 1 Corinthians. And I know for myself, I didn't want, I didn't want to go through what I went through. Praise God, it was through the wrist because the alternative was through the groin. I go, no, 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 no. I don't want that. That's weird, you know. And then they were threatening me with open heart surgery. Not threatening me, but saying that might be a possibility. They go, oh, God, no, please. No, 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 no. You know, so when they got it through the wrist and I just have this little wound here or a little scar, I'm going, yay. <laughs> Small things, they change your perspective, don't they? any rate, what I want us to do is stand right now. Would you would, please? And we're going to say, a declaration out loud that's kind of a summary of what we covered thus far in 1 Corinthians. But you are not a mere human. So I'm going to say the first part of this phrase, and you're going to respond back with the, the capital italicized response to me. I am not a mere a human, okay? And I want you to believe this. I want you to say it like you believe it. So here we go. You have Christ. You have the wisdom of God. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. God makes you grow. Do you believe it? 